following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let me pray. Lord, that song that we just sang truly is our prayer. We need you this morning to come and awaken our hearts, to open our eyes, open our eyes and show us wondrous things from your word. Your word is wondrous. It holds wondrous things. But we need help. We need eyes to see. We need quickened hearts. We need a taste. We need a hunger. We all want life. Our problem is not our search for life. Our problem is our dullness. We search for life in so many suicidal places. We search for life everywhere except where there is life left to ourselves. So God, we ask you this morning through your word, give us life. Give us life. I I have a I have a meal prepared here and I'm about to serve it but but you are the one that creates the food you are the one that causes it to be nourishment to our souls so would you this morning holy spirit attend to our souls with the word make my words clear would you restrain me and constrain me Cause me to clearly preach you, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear and hearts to rejoice at your name. We look to you now and to your word. Amen. Well, you can't go home, the saying says. This is the time of year for looking back and for looking forward. I sometimes think back to times in my childhood, times of purity and wonder. I can remember as a child fishing at this, this little spot at our lake where the, where the bluegill would spawn or hiking with our St. Bernard gladiator in the woods. Wondrous times. I remember the blue skies. Trees rustling all around, no sounds of cars, just the breeze and our footsteps on the leaves, the sound of water, the sound of the hook of my pole just dipping below the surface of the water. I would love to go back to those days. I would love to, when life was so much like Eden, when life was so pure and, and, and full of wonder because I, I, I want to be happy. I, I want to be blessed without any boundary, just like you. We all do. 
We all desire that, but we, we can't go home. Eden is gone. The dam on that lake has since given way, and the lake is more like a swamp. Uh, the bushes have overgrown all the old paths. Home no longer exists. Our world is like that. Sin has ravaged this world and pocked all of our lives. We would all like to go back to Eden to tell ourselves to do that moment or that year or that decade or that life differently, but we can't. We can't. What was once glorious and perfect is now marred by the effects of sin. The blue skies are now clouded by the war that sin now wages. Our lives are cratered with the battles. So the writer before us this morning in Psalm 119, he, he knows that we are at war. And yet he has found both the way to joy and delight in this time of war th- through all the battles and, and all the deceptions and all the difficulties and all the opposition that we experience now. He has found delight now and he knows the way home. He knows the way to a better Eden. We don't need another Eden fallible to sin. We need one that forever will satisfy our souls where truth is unending, where real wondrous life exists. Life outside of time. This man knows the way and we would do well to listen to him this morning. He has written the longest of the Psalms, 176 verses. He structured the text as an extended acrostic using the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's what the uh, anglicized headings are in your text. He's, he's used the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet uh, <clears throat> to, to represent an, uh, each section, and they, they begin each verse. Each verse, the first word of each verse begins with that letter. It is a psalm full of joy, full of delight, and full of deliberation, full of deep thought. And nearly every one of the 176 verses points us to two subjects, God and His Word, God and His Gospel. Nearly every verse is spoken directly to God, and nearly every verse refers to the Bible by some synonym. Your Word, your promise, your precepts, your testimonies, your commandments, your law, your righteous rules, your ways, your statutes, your wondrous works, your, 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 your. God and His Word. The two are inseparable. The writer knows only of a God who revealed Himself in words and only a revelation with a living God behind it. It is these two inseparables, God and His Word, that lead anyone through this time. It is only through God and His Word that a man, woman, or child may be truly blessed. It is only by possessing God and His Word that anyone is preserved through this present war alive and experiences real life on the other side. And we also see, right off the bat in this psalm, that the path to blessing is intensely practical. It is intensely practical. We see this in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk is the is. who walk in the law of the Lord, excuse me. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. 
who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. The psalmist is after blessing. He is after blessing. He is after his own delight. And that real blessing, that real delight is found through knowing and keeping the law of God. But lest you think that this guy is perfect or that he thinks that he's perfect and better than you, we need to read the final verses of this psalm. And by the way, as I go through today, I am not going to read it in its entirety. And I am going to jump around a lot. I hope you will permit me that with Psalm lasting 176 verses. The final verses, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. He knows that without God and his word, either the world or the devil or his own heart will kill him in the darkness. He needs a lamp to his feet. He needs a light to his path, verse 105. He needs someone to help his steps remain steady in the dark. He needs a defender against the forces that would like to enslave him, verse 133. But more than that, he needs a deliverer. He needs a redeemer, verses 153 and 154. He needs God. He needs God and he knows that the means by which God gives himself is his word. So he has come to delight in and love the Word because the Word reveals to him his life, his Redeemer, his Savior, his God. This is a song of delight, delight that transcends, that transcends the, the, the very real threats and wounds and battles of this present war. It is a psalm that is filled with equal parts delight and affliction, love and hate, Fulfillment and deep longing. It is a song of delight in God, of longing for God, for God to give life, for God to lead him and us back home, for God to lead us home back to Eden. God leads us to life by means of his word. God leads us to life by means of His Word. The Word is a means of grace that, that leads to real life. Real life. It is God that we need, and He has seen fit to use this means to disclose Himself. And He discloses Himself because He Himself is life. So no God, no life. No Bible, no knowing God. No Bible, no life. This is why the psalmist, ten times in this psalm, asks God for life. Look with me at 107, verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord. How? According to your word. Give me life according to your word. Not just any life, but, but, but just as your word says you can and do bring life. Give me life according to your word. But what life? What, what, what exactly does he mean by life? He means unending life, life that goes on forever. And he means life that begins now. Unending life that begins now. Delight 
and security now in the face of today's trials and perseverance through today's trials against the very real enemies of the devil, the world, and my own heart. We see this in the great purpose statement of verse 175, right towards the end. He says, and and really this is our purpose statement for all of life. He says, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Our purpose is to glorify God now and forever, but we need life to do that. We need life to do that, so God gives us life, and the means by which He does that, the help for that comes through His Word. And this brings us to the my main point this morning. God leads us to life by means of His Word. God leads us to life by means of His Word. And there are three observations within that that I want us to see this morning. He leads us to life by means of His Word for our delight in Him, through obedience to Him in union with Him. God leads us to life by means of His Word for our delight in Him through obedience to Him in union with Him. Delight, obedience, in union. So I want to consider each one of those words in turn. First, delight. Look with me at the the word, that the synonym that he uses in verse 175 for the Bible. The word rules. Delight in rules. The psalmist has learned a vital truth. God is not a cosmic killjoy with his rules, but the lover of our souls. With his rules, he is out for his own first desire, that is, his own glory. He is out for his own glory, but he is also out for the very thing that we're all searching for in food and sex and ambition, real life. He's out for both at the same time. With his rules, God is laying down tracks for us to run down to actually gain life. Verse 174 says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, for for you to save me now and to keep saving me and to keep saving me until I am saved. So, and now, your law is my delight, he says. I delight in your law because it is your means now of giving me life now, but also of leading me to full salvation, full life, full rest then. But you and I, we need God to even even allow us to, to even open our eyes to even see this word this way. So he prays in verse 17 for God to deal bountifully with him. So how would God deal bountifully with his servant? Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. God must give this. God must give this to you, to anyone. God must continually be doing this for us, giving this to us. And he delights to. He delights to answer this prayer. Um, my mother has kept many of our Christmas wish lists from childhood. Um, It's amazing. She's got them all in a Ziploc bag. Beautiful. And a few days ago, she pulled out my list from 1985. Can you guess what I wanted? (laughs) I wanted a jersey from the St. Louis Steamers indoor soccer team. I wanted, of course, 
a 45 record of Jan Hammer's theme song to the Miami Vice TV show. Why would I not? You know? What? And I wanted a copy of the book, a mass market paperback of the Living Bible. Now tell me, what in the world causes a 12-year-old boy to put that on that Christmas list next to those things? What in the world? Only God, only God, by, by already giving me a taste of His Word and causing me to find it as sweet, as sweet, and wanting more of it. So I put it on my Christmas list. Oh, I, I encourage you today, brother and sister, pray for that. Pray for that now. Pray for that as if your life depends upon it. Pray for it because what I found is what the psalmist found, that God's words are true, true, period. And I found them to possess an, an alien beauty. To, to, uh, to paraphrase Luther, I, I found them to neither be ancient nor modern. I found them to be timeless, eternal. Verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. They endure forever because they point us to God the only way we live forever is by possessing Him. Spurgeon once said, Bubbles please boys, but men prize those things which are solid and substantial with a foundation and a bottom to them which will bear the test of time. Only God causes a teenager to stay home on a Friday night reading his Bible and highlighting verses. True, true. True, true, true. Yes, yep, 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 yep. My parents are actually worried about me. <laughs> and I hadn't planned on all those colors making my Bible nearly unreadable in places. But, uh, but all those colors agreed with verse 140. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. In my love, that Bible fell apart. What in the world causes a teenage boy to take Philippians and part of Colossians with him to his grandmother's house as his form of entertainment? What, what causes that? What causes that is an alien delight that only comes through something alien, the perfect, timeless Word of God. Today, I, I'm not really sure where that steamer's jersey is, and thank God... Jan Hammer's record is long forgotten. But verse 162, I was one who had found great spoil. Now in some ways, God has graciously matured that desire for His Word, but in some ways, in some ways, I pray for a rekindling of that, of that great desire. I, I can relate to the psalmist in verse 176 when he says, I have gone astray like a sheep, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. No, I, I don't forget your word, but, but in some ways I've strayed from that pure delight. It's been, it's been diluted. It's been adulterated. Can you relate to that? I, I hope every one of us can relate to that to some degree. Because we are all helpless on our own. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. 
We need God. We, we need God to rekindle afresh in us that this, this newfound delight in Him that it would continually be new within us. And this delight is actually not optional. This delight is not optional. It is essential. It is essential. God is out to cause delight to well up within us in Him. That's His purpose. Real delight. He is out for His own glory. And the two coincide because we glorify Him when we fulfill our purpose in delighting in Him. We, we glorify Him. We fulfill our purpose by delighting in Him and our delight shows Him to be great and good and wonderful and worth it. But this delight is also essential for us to walk in holiness in this life. Trying harder this year alone won't cut it. It won't. I mean, some most secular psychologists could tell you that. You don't need me to tell you that. But trying harder won't cut it by itself. You need a new affection. I need new affections. We need a new delight that pushes out the old affections and the old delights. It's not enough to try harder. You need something bigger. And when the trials of the new year come, when afflictions come, you need something that is bigger. You need something bigger that you can hold on to and say, yes, this is hard. This is bad. I grieve this, but I possess something stronger, something more steady. You must have this to endure. And it is found in His Word. The only thing that will push out the idols of your heart and my heart is a, a bigger affection, a bigger delight. <clears throat> so the study of God's Word is really the pursuit of our own delight. And that delight is essential to, to any striving for holiness. So, where does this delight sneak off to? What, what robs us of this delight? What, what robs us of our taste of it? Well, I, I will offer two places to look for the thief. The, the first is a lie. A disbelief of verse 68. Verse 68 reads, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. This comes in the middle of a section about affliction, verses 65 through 88. And sometimes, sometimes in the unrelenting battles in this life of marriage and work and school and family and church and health and aging or not getting old enough fast enough, we can subtly without realizing it, begin to believe a lie that God is not good. Or if He is, He's impotent. He chooses not to do good. Not to me, at least. This whole thing doesn't work. We begin to believe. And so we no longer desire Him to teach us His statutes. And so we drift. If you've lost this delight... Perhaps it's because God has disappointed you. 
sometime in the past. And it is good to look for this. Look for where God perhaps has disappointed you. And to ask God, ask Him for renewed faith in verse 68, that indeed He is good and He does good. For faith to sincerely believe, verses 67 and 71, that it was truly good that You afflicted me, O Lord, because Your Word is more precious than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. So I'm, I'm actually glad that You used what He or she did to me. Why? Because it turned my heart back to Your law. So I thank you for it. Ask him for the faith to sincerely be able to say that you can't do it on your own. You need an alien faith. You need alien grace for that. But how do I return? How do I, how do I get back that desire and, and feast again upon him? How does one re- regain the taste? A dear friend of our family once went through a pretty dark time, a very dry time. She did not desire God. Uh, She did not want to read the Word or even pray, and it spooked her, really spooked her. And if you've, Christians, by the way, sometimes get depressed, and if you've been through this, you, you know it can spook you. So her husband asked her to study, not just read, but to study Psalm 119. And though it was not immediate, God did draw her out of that dryness and she regained her thirst and her hunger for the Word. Verse 68 became more and more real to her. She still quotes it to this day, many years later. You are good and you do good. Oh God, teach me your statutes. So I don't know all the reasons why God sometimes seems so far off and all the reasons why He brings afflictions. But I know, I know that you can never, never regain your taste for Him and His Word as long as you are not drinking from this fountain of grace that is His Word. It will never be restored to you without taking this in, without being in this. So if you find yourself in this position today, lacking delight and desire, I, I, I charge you, I exhort you, I encourage you, return to the Word. Return to the Word with the faith that you have. Return to the Word with the faith that you have and look for God to meet you there. It's not up to you anyway. So the pressure's off. Just place yourself under that stream and keep yourself there. Pray for Him to work and grant you a new delight. Perhaps you need to stop and simply study this psalm, for starters. Or what about your favorite book of the Bible? Go ahead. Return back to that one. Remember, you're pursuing your own delight. Not a thing wrong with it. But Whatever you do, get in the Word. Read what you enjoy. Read what you enjoy and then enlarge upon that a little bit. And enlarge upon that a little bit. Perhaps read one of the Gospels. Simply watch and follow the Lord as He goes to the cross. Whatever you do, return to the Word prayerfully and expectantly. Because who knows what the future holds this coming year. And I I know that there are people in this congregation 
who can say with me and who can agree heartily with me to the words of verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. There are many in our congregation who can who can testify to, to the worth of God's Word as it was your very food in the past during your affliction. It was the very thing that sustained you. So, to the first group, I say let the testimony of the second group sober you and draw you back to the Word, to this fountain of grace, to this means of grace. So this delight in His Word is necessary for endurance. It is necessary for enduring in holiness, to endure in the trials of life in holiness. And this leads us to the next point. God leads us to life by means of His Word for delight in God, through obedience to God. Delight and obedience. Delight and obedience hold hands. If their clasp breaks, they both shrivel. The second thief of our joy is our own disobedience. Which is why the psalmist knows nothing, nothing of a genuine delight in God's Word without a strenuous obedience to God's Word. There's no such thing one without the other. The psalmist can't conceive of it. We see this hand-holding in verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We pursue our own delight in God by obedience to the word in his to our obedience to Him in His Word. Or to put it another way, the pursuit of delight requires a sober resolution to obedience in every area of life. Most of the time our problem with resolutions is not that we make them, but that they're too small. The pursuit of delight requires a sober resolution to obedience in every area of life. I mean, we see this in the first two stanzas of the psalm. Verse 4, God commands us to diligently keep His commands. But that is so we would be blessed, verses 1 and 2. And verse 6, not be put to shame. So a young man keeps his way pure and avoids becoming an impure old man by guarding his way according to God's Word, verse 9. Look with me at verse 34, verses 34 through 37. So this means obedience in the whole person. This means obedience in the mind, verse 34. Obedience with the feet, verse 35. Obedience with the heart, verse 36. And obedience with the eyes, the eyes, verse 37. But how? Well, Bible study. Bible study. But, by the way, I, w- I want to say, don't let anyone tell you that Bible study is always easy. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. Okay? Let's just say that. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. But, but, most of the time, the problem is our own dullness. It is not, the problem does not lie here. The problem lies with our own dullness of heart and mind and soul and body. mm <clears throat> And in your fight 
against lust or fear or idolatry or any other sin in the coming year, the psalmist has no advice for you, no advice that does not include consistent meditation upon God's Word. He will always say that. Consistent meditation upon God's Word. Again, not because the Bible has a problem, but because you and I have this deep problem of dullness. Deep meditation. Meditation, what does that mean? The turning over of verses in your mind, the, the, the letting it soak, the, the taking time with it, the thinking of, of, of each word sometimes. That, that perhaps, to give an example, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Oh, that's present tense. Oh, yes, Jesus lives. Yes, yes, I am the way. Oh, there is only one way. He is the way. He is the way. What does that mean? He is, he is the one that I must be united to, to, to find what I'm looking for. I am the way. I am the truth. It, letting it meditate. Letting it soak. <clears throat> so meditate upon God's Word. Memorize God's Word. I have personally found no better way to meditate upon God's Word than to memorize it. Sometimes I memorize because I simply read passages so often. Sometimes I deliberately set out to memorize. But either way, memorize it. Memorize passages cold. Memorize them as a family, as a community group. Memorize the Word. And verse 63, make yourself a companion of those who do the same. Study it. Study it like you eat. You need to eat daily, right? Study God's Word daily. If you miss a meal, how do you feel? And maybe you can miss one meal, but you miss a couple and things start to break down. Study God's Word daily like you eat. Study it completely from end to end. Study all of it. Seek to piece together the different pieces. Study it for your joy. Study it for your enjoyment. That is okay. That is good. That is actually vital, essential. Study it for your joy. And study it prayerfully. Study it prayerfully. We need grace to actually do it. We need grace for God's blessing. So God seeks to bless us and He gives us the grace to do His Word, which is actually the place we need to be to be blessed by Him. So study the Word prayerfully, on your knees, dependently. And you will also find, welling up within you, as God gives you this grace, not only a love and affection and delight for Him and His Word, but you will also find, welling up within you, a true and sincere hatred. This is also vital in your war against sin. Hatred is natural for whatever is against what we love, right? So we see this in verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Do you, do you hate false ways? Where do you stand in relation to this verse? Do you hate, you know, not dislike, do you hate false ways? We need delight, we need affection, we need love, but it's questionable if love exists where hatred does not. Love chooses, love discriminates between good and evil. 
The hatred of evil demonstrates our love for God. If you are not growing in your love for God and His Word, you are not growing in your hatred of evil. And then you are more and more likely to live in peace with evil. You are drifting. And you are more and more likely to be enslaved by it. You are slipping and drifting. Return. Turn back to His Word. Let the last stanza of the psalm be your prayer. Perhaps you need to go home this afternoon and simply pray those verses. Let them be your own. Because only when we find this love for God and hatred of evil will the temptations of this world begin to repel you. They will increasingly become repellent. And and they will even have an unintended consequence, an unintended effect, unintended from the devil's point of view. Look with me at verse 126. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Okay? Your law has been broken. Therefore, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Do you see the connection? The fact that God's laws were broken caused him to love them even more. Only when we get to this point will the, the, the sin and the corruption of the world become this, this black backdrop against which the, the bright white glory of His grace and mercy shines ever more clearly for us. It's amazing how God works. Only when you see that black backdrop for what it is can you also say in verses 119 and 120, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Only when we come to this point will we walk in a right fear of the Lord as we see Him for who He really is. So in light of these terrible judgments, His wrath, where is the safe place? Who has kept all His word? Who obeys like this? Well, this leads us to the last point. God leads us to life by means of His Word for delight in Him through obedience to Him in union with Him. In union with Him. Delight, obedience, and union. We need union with God because He's the main character in all the Bible. And all history. Hate to break it to you, but it's not you. It's God. The thread begins with Genesis 3.15. God promises an offspring of Eve who would crush Satan's head. This offspring is Jesus of Nazareth, who came as a man, lived a life that was perfect, whose way was truly blameless, the Blessed One, the Messiah, the Christ. He alone did no wrong, but walked in all of God's ways, because though a man, he is God. And he died, he died for us, and he was raised to life. Life. Real life. He is the one who possesses it. He is the one who has it. The life that you are looking for. And he has revealed to us in his word. He lives, and when we trust in Him, we have peace with God. Romans 
We stand right before God. We have peace with God and we stand right before Him through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. And not only this, but Romans 6, 4 says something that is marvelous. And I, I can testify to you today that Romans 6 is a, is a pillar in, in my life. It is, Romans 6 has become a, a turning point in my own personal history. It is glorious, the truth that we find here. In Romans 6, 4, Paul says that by faith, we not only stand right before God, but we are united with Christ. United with Christ in His death to sin, in His burial, and in His being raised from the dead. In His new resurrection life, we are united by Him, when united with Him, if we trust in Him. Glorious. Why is this glorious? Because being united to Him is my only way to true life, the life that He now lives in. And so it says, because of this being united with Him, we too now may walk in newness of life. We may have life now. How? By being united to Him by faith. Glorious. It is glorious because He has acted first. He acted first. He united me to Him. It's no longer up to me. Oh, I work hard. I work hard, but He does it all. Oh, I seek to strenuously, I I determine to strenuously obey Him, but He does it all. And it only does anything now because He has united me to Him. Wonderful. So now my walk is is not striving to earn something with Him, but it is by faith in what He has already done for me. So now, you go down a little bit further, I, I, I can say, I can say by faith in verse 11 that I can, I can reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am that. Why? Because I've, unite, I've been united to Christ and He died to sin and has been raised to life. He now lives to God, so do I. Wonderful. I can say that. That is true about me. And therefore, I, I can look at verse 12, not with hope, but not with hopelessness, but with great hope, with great confidence. Verse 12, which says, Therefore, do not let any sin reign in your mortal bodies. And now, now I no longer need to reverse the order of those two verses and say, Oh, if I could just, if I could just keep this sin from reigning in my mortal body, then I would be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. No, no, no. You never reverse the order. By faith we are united with Christ in His death to sin, in His life to God. And so we have every hope for victory over sin now in 2014. Not because of your trying harder, but because of grace. The grace that comes to us, that flows to us in Christ. Wonderful. So Paul says that We are united with Him in His resurrection life and we may walk in this newness of life. And so I I can approach this psalm, for instance, and I can find mercy in every place where I presently fall short, where the psalmist's word sounds so alien to me. 
I can rest in mercy knowing that I am united by faith to the one whose ways were always steadfast, whose eyes were always fixed on all of God's commandments, who even when, when the insolent smeared him with lies, he kept God's promises with his whole heart. I am united to that one. He obeyed for me. And though, verse 80, his heart was blameless in God's statutes, he was put to shame on a cross in my place. In being united with Christ by faith, I have mercy and, and I have grace, unmerited favor, because I am united to him in his death to sin and in his new life. I now, for the first time, I have power, power to obey. I am now free to obey. No longer enslaved to sin, but free to righteousness. Enslaved to righteousness. His grace trains me not to earn His love, but He trains me and it causes me to to well up with gratitude. And out of this gratitude, I seek to obey. I can pray in strong faith, Oh Lord, give me life. Why? Not on the grounds of me, but on the grounds of what you have done in me in Christ. Wonderful. Because he has risen and I am united to him. His word really will give me life because I really have been raised with him. So when I am afflicted, I can pray verse 50 even better than the psalmist. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. He promises to take me home. Because I'm united to the one who already lives, he shares his life with me. And he promises to give me real life, total life, life outside of, ta- outside of time, without boundary, full satisfaction. Let me read... Uh, Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So I can say even better than the psalmist, because I am united with him, the Lord is my portion. And so in anticipation of what you promised to do, O Lord, I promise to keep your words. I promise out of confidence in you, in your words and what you have already done. Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps 
the words of the prophecy of this book. May God give us grace to keep them. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we need Your grace. We need Your unmerited favor upon us. So would You give it? Would You give for the first time or rekindle within us this alien, fiery, consuming delight in Your Word? Would you give it so that you get glory by our delight? So our delight would shine a great big spotlight so that the twinkle, the gleam in our eye from your word would point people to you so that you would get all the glory. But so that you would give us life, the life that we long for, the life that you made us to seek. So would you do both? Would you do both this year? Would you give us life through a consuming desire to keep your words, to obey? So Lord, I I pray in my own life, I pray for grace to obey in every area of my life. And I pray that you would show me where I am not and grant me repentance. And I pray for every other Christian here. Shine a light upon us through your word this year. And for those that do not know you, perhaps there have been some here today that think I'm a crazy man talking about delight, about rules. Would you open eyes? Would you open eyes and save and cause them to obey your words, to obey first and foremost by obeying your gospel, by trusting in you, Lord Jesus, that they would be united to you and experience newness of life. Uh, only God, only a great and merciful and loving and amazing God does these things. So Lord, be great among us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.